Good morning. I'm good. Thanks for asking. Today we continue on in our uh, series, holding it together based on the book of Colossians. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 is where we'll be today. So a couple of weeks ago, it was Mother's Day. You remember that, right? Hopefully you remembered it on that day if you have a mother in your life. So uh, I spent the morning here at Northbrook. It was a great morning celebrating mothers with all of you. And then uh, my wife and I, we went to my mom's house and my mother-in-law was there also. So it was the Mother's Day trifecta at that house. And uh, spent some great time honoring and celebrating moms. And then we made our way back to our house. And uh, if you're newer to Northbrook, uh, we have three kids. Uh, we have a 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. So we did the whole bedtime routine thing, got them ready for bed, uh, prayed with them, tucked them in. And then I thought, you know, it would be a great way to end a wonderful day. Logging on to social media. I mean, what could go wrong? It's Mother's Day. Everybody knows on Mother's Day you can only post uplifting comment and like thankfulness to mom, right? So uh, I logged on to Argument Book. Well, I'm sorry, Facebook. I logged on to Facebook. And uh, I noticed a little bit of commotion on one of the groups that I'm a part of. Um, this group has thousands of people all over the country in it. And so um, I logged on and there was a theological article that had been posted in the group. And it had turned into a theological social media brawl. And uh, by the time I saw it, there had been there was hundreds of comments. And you know, whenever you see an article that's controversial, that is hundreds of comments, you know the right thing to do is just keep scrolling by and not, not read them, right? Like, you know that's the right thing to do. But most of us don't do that. Let's just be honest. And so I was like, oh, I'm reading these comments. So I, I, I started reading through the comments. And some of the comments were thoughtful, sincere, cordial, respectful. But then there were other comments. There were other comments that were nasty and biting and demeaning and sarcastic and ugly. And what made me really sad was this was a pastor's group. This was a pastor's group on Mother's Day. I'm like, man, your mothers would be so proud. And it got me thinking, like, is that what Jesus had in mind for his followers? When he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples? Like, what is the goal of not just pastors, but what is the goal for followers of Christ when it comes to how we interact with each other in the world? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? I can tell you what I think some of those pastors in that group were trying to accomplish. They were trying to make a point. They were trying to win an argument. In some cases, I think they were trying to belittle their opponent. But I wonder if in trying to make a point, they lost sight of the goal. They lost sight of their purpose. It seems in 2021, everywhere you look, people are trying to make a point. And in some cases, they're making a really good point. But I think if we're not wise, we can live our lives making points, but missing the mark at times. Missing the goal. Living our lives in such a way that we may win arguments and make points, but lose sight of what it really means to follow Jesus as followers of Christ. 
I mean, church, if we're being honest, over the past 2,000 years since Jesus, followers of Jesus have made a lot of points, but also frequently lost their way. So today I want to look at Paul's words written thousands of years ago, but still very relevant to our lives today. And in chapter 4, Paul is going to begin uh, this important talk on what it means to live life following Christ and how we are to interact in our conversations with others. Um, Paul has just finished unpacking some household expectations that Pastor Mike covered last week. If you missed that, you can check that out online. And now he moves on to everyday living. So again, if you have your Bibles, Colossians 4, starting in verse 2, is where we pick up. Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I'm going to stop right there for a little bit. So Paul begins this section challenging them and reminding them to do three things. One sentence, three things. He says, be devoted to prayer. He says, be watchful. Other transla- translations would translate that word alert. Be watchful or alert. And then he says, thankful. I want to take some time and talk through these three things that Paul challenges them to do. First off, Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but that can sound a little intimidating. Even if you consider yourself someone who prays regularly and understands what prayer is all about, devoted is, is a pretty intense word. Like, I don't know about you, but there's not a whole lot of things that I would say I'm devoted to. I mean, there's a lot of things I like, right? I like sports. I like running. I like reading. I like coffee. I like golf. There's, I mean, I like a lot of things, but devotion, like what I'm devoted to, that's a pretty small list. And Paul starts off and he says, be devoted. If you're going to be devoted to something, be devoted to prayer. And I don't know about you, but immediately I can go, well, I'm failing at that because, man, that sounds like a lot. That sounds pretty intense. Be devoted to prayer. What does it even mean to be devoted to prayer? How does one know that you are devoted to prayer? Well, first off, what is prayer? Prayer is first and foremost an awareness that God is present in our lives. That's why Paul can write in another letter in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. How do you pray without ceasing and get anything done? You pray without ceasing when prayer is more than just a, a, a bedtime prayer, a meal prayer, a morning prayer, though those things are wonderful and good. Prayer is essentially an awareness that the God that made the heavens and the earth, your creator, is with you and available and wants to be a part of your life every moment of every day. That is essentially the beginning of prayer. So as you start your morning, God's there. And as you drive to work, or you interact with your kids, God's there. As you interact with people, as you go out your day at the grocery store, at the kids' soccer game, God is present in there. You don't have to beg him to come show up. You don't have to pray and ask him to be a part of your life. He is already present and there. Where else would he be? And so prayer is essentially, first and foremost, not begging God to come be a part of our lives, but reminding ourselves of a truth that is already, that God is already there. God is present. It's just sometimes we're not aware. It's like one of my favorite lines from Elizabeth Browning where she says, Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees it takes off his shoes. 
The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I love that. Earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with the presence of God. There is nowhere you can go that God is not right there with you. The question is, are you aware of it? Every common bush of fire with God, but only see who, he who sees it takes off his shoes. Of course, she's referring back to the Old Testament presence of when someone thought they were entering into the presence of God, they would take off their shoes because it was holy ground they were entering into. And of course, in the Old Testament, the belief was that God was only in certain places. You would visit him at the temple. Perhaps you would run into a, a, a part of the earth where God's presence was there. But of course, with Jesus, we, we now know that God is present everywhere. There are no common moments, only holy ones that we mistake for common. There are no common interactions, only holy ones that we mistake for common interactions. Earth is crammed with heaven. Be devoted to prayer. Ultimately, Paul is inviting us to an awareness that God is with us and very present as we go about our day. Paul continues, he says, be watchful or alert. When I was in high school, uh, we went to summer camp, uh, my youth group, and uh, we had a group of senior high guys that started playing a game the first day we got there. Don't know who came up with the game, don't know what it was called, but it was a fairly simple game. Uh, They would walk by each other, And when someone wasn't paying attention, they would clap once. And if they still weren't paying attention, they would then be able to slap them as hard as they could on the back. High school guys, what can I say? And so uh, the first couple days, I was way too mature to play the game. I was like, guys, this is juvenile. I'm not playing this game. Like, I'm out. But by the third day, I was like, you know, I really want to slap some of these guys. And so uh, I had my chance, like one of my friends was really distracted and his back was turned. And so I walked over and I clapped and he still wasn't paying attention. And I just slapped him as hard as I could. And it was awesome. For about five seconds. Until everyone turned around and looked at me and they were like, oh, John is now part of the game. And suddenly they were trying to slap me. And the rest of that week, I walked around, and every time I heard a clap, I like tensed and did a 360. Didn't matter how far away the clap was. I was on high alert the rest of the week. Do we live our lives each day aware, alert to the fact that God is inviting us into bringing his kingdom down into this world, and there will be opportunities to be a part of what God's up to. You know, like, I, I wish that I could have someone with me as I go about my day and that, that, that would clap every time that I was about to walk into an opportunity. Like when I go to the mailbox and I'm there and my neighbor happens to come out and I say, hey, how's it going? And my neighbor kind of hesitates and is like, it's going okay. Like at that moment, I wish someone would clap and be like, John, this is not a coincidence. This is not an accident. Like God is at work in this situation. You have an opportunity if you'll take advantage of it. Or when I'm at the grocery store and I'm in a hurry and I'm trying to get through the line and and the cashier's checking out my stuff and she seems kind of sad. Like, I wish someone would be there to just clap once. Be like, John, wake up. Like, here is an opportunity. Like, this isn't a coincidence that you're here in this moment, in this lane. There are no random coincidences. God is present in this moment and you have an opportunity to be a part of what he's doing in the world. See, when Paul says be watchful or alert, he is reminding us 
that God works through us, but he doesn't force us. And so if we're not careful, we will miss the opportunities that God gives us to make a difference in the world. And they don't have to be grandiose. They can be simple, like opportunities as we interact with our kids or talk with a neighbor or talk with a coworker. God is present in those moments. God is at work in those moments, and we will have opportunities. We will discern nudges from the Holy Spirit if we are alert and watchful. The opposite of being alert or watchful is just putting the day on cruise control, getting through it, working for the weekend, or in my case, working for Friday, killing time. And I get it. Like, we've all had those days where we get to the afternoon and we're like, well, I just really want this day to be over. Like, let's just fast forward. Let's just call it a day. Let's try again tomorrow. But even in the rough days, God is still inviting us into moments of meaning if we slow down and if we watch for them. Every day, God is up to something in your life, and the invitation is to not miss it, not mistake it for coincidence or common. Live every day with the expectancy that God is up to something. And the question is, are you going to get in on it? Lastly, Paul says, be thankful. Now, just a reminder that Paul is writing this in chains in prison, and he's writing it to a group of people that are going through a significant difficult time. So it's safe to say Paul is not suggesting, hey, you guys have such a wonderful, easy life. You really should be thankful for it. No, quite the opposite. Paul is saying, I know you're going through a difficult time. I'm writing this from prison. But despite circumstances, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose to be thankful. Now, if you've been around church any amount of time, you've probably heard a message on being thankful, right? And and if not, nothing else. Every November, we have a holiday where we remind each other you really should be thankful. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself why it's so important as a follower of Christ that we live thankful? Why is that so important? It's interesting that Paul, Paul shares three things in this short sentence. He says to be devoted to prayer, to be alert or watchful, and to be thankful. Why does Paul put thankfulness at the end? Well, here's what I believe, and I think the rest of Scripture backs this up. When we live thankful, it's easier to do the first two things. When we live thankful, we are more aware of the presence of God in our lives, and we are more alert to how he wants to use us to love others. When we live unthankful, when we're not thankful, it's so easy to focus on ourselves and get distracted by our wants, our needs. But when we live thankful lives, despite circumstances, that opens us up to being more aware of God's presence and more available to do what he wants us to do in the world. More than that, when we live thankful, we just live better lives. Paul says live thankful thousands of years ago, and it's interesting how recent academic studies are backing up the importance of Paul's words. I love when that happens. For example, a a recent academic study showed that grateful individuals experience more positive emotions, are more satisfied with life, experience fewer negative emotions, including depression, anxiety, and envy, are physically healthier, have more energy, sleep better, and have higher satisfaction at their jobs, all from choosing to be thankful despite circumstances. That's a lot. As we go through our days, when we make the choice to be thankful, not only is life better, 
But God is able to work through our lives to make the people's lives around us better. Paul says, be devoted to prayer, alert, and thankful. As I was reading that sentence, I couldn't help but think of the generation growing up right now. Um, and for those of you that are new to Northbrook, I primarily work with 6th to 12th graders here at Northbrook, and I've worked with 6th to 12th graders for about 15 years. And uh, those that study the generation growing up right now have characterized them as the most stressed, anxious, fearful, and overwhelmed generation that has ever walked the planet. Now, maybe that is an exaggeration, maybe not. But that characterization has challenged me to reevaluate my goals for my own personal kids. So let me just speak to the parents and grandparents for a minute, if I can. Parents, what is the goal that you have for your kid? What are the goals that you have for them as they wake up each day? Here's what I'm realizing. The goal that I have for my kids, that I want them to know deeply as they start each day, is not that they get a perfect report card. It's not that they stay out of trouble. It's not that they hit the winning home run at the baseball game, though that would be epic. It's not even happiness, because quite frankly, happiness is a moving target. No, the goal that I want my kids to know, that I have for them, that they would wake up each day knowing that their Heavenly Father is with them. And no matter what happens, no matter where they go, God is with them. No matter what they do, no matter how bad they are, no matter how many mistakes they make, they make God is with them. And more than that, that he's inviting them into something. That they are going to have opportunities to be a part of what God is doing in the world. And each day they're going to, they're going to have a choice to choose to be thankful. Despite the circumstances that come their way. Because I believe if they do that, if they follow Paul's words, and they live devoted to prayer, alert and thankful, I believe no matter what happens in their life, they will be able to live from a grounded, centered place of joy. And that's the way that I want them to live. But here's what's interesting. I think most of us in the room would say, well, yeah, I want some version of that for my kids. But the questions we ask our kids reveal what's really important to us. And as I've thought about the questions that I ask my kids on a day-to-day basis, oftentimes I make the mistake of asking them questions that don't actually reveal what I truly care about. I ask them questions about how they did in school, if they obeyed their mom, how they did in the baseball practice, the softball game. I ask them questions, and and I don't even realize that by asking them those questions, I am teaching them what I value. And so what would it look like, parents, to rethink the questions that we ask our kids? And maybe some of you are way ahead of this, on this than I am, and if you are, you should be, you know, maybe you should be up here teaching. But anyway, what if, what if we ask better questions? What if we ask the question like, hey, how did you live thankful today? Notice I didn't say, did you live thankful today? Because if we say, did you, you're going to get the eye roll and yes, right? So how about, a, how about an open-ended question? How did you live thankful today? Hey, how did you live aware of God's presence in your life today? Hey, how did you, how did you find opportunities to be a part of what God's doing in the world today? Now, th- now at first, if your kids are like mine, they're going to be like, oh, I have no idea. But if we ask those questions enough, 
It's going to change the way they think and it's going to change the way that they go about their day when we reveal what's truly important to us. And more than that, what would it look like to model those questions in our own lives? What would it look like to say, hey, hey guys, let me tell you about how, how I live thankful today. Hey guys, let, let me tell you about how I stayed aware of the presence of God in my life today. Hey guys, let me tell you about, about a, a moment where I listened to the nudge of the Holy Spirit and, and I did something. I, I, I talked to a, someone at the grocery store, I, I talked to a neighbor, I talked to a coworker, and I tried to be present to what God wants to do in and through my life. This week, some of us might want to make a spiritual discipline of, of simply repeating this phrase. God is present. Stay alert. Live thankful. God is present. Stay alert. Live thankful. Paul continues. He says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Here's a question I think is really important. Because if we get this question wrong, it's not going to go well. As we interact with people at our jobs, as we interact with family members, as we interact with people at our kids' soccer games, as we go about our day, there is opportunity everywhere. What is the opportunity? What is the opportunity? What is the opportunity that Paul is talking about? Is the opportunity to win arguments? Is the opportunity to make a name for ourselves? Is the opportunity to educate people on how they're wrong and we're right? What is the opportunity as we wake up each day that is in front of us? We have got to get this one right. Some of us need to write this as the background on our phones or our computers. Write this down. I'm not, I'm not advocating getting a tattoo, but this phrase would be better than some of the tattoos I've seen. Just saying. The opportunity is love. The opportunity in front of us every day that Paul wants us to make the most of is love. It's not to win arguments or put people in their place or make a name for ourselves. Because here's what I know. You can win an argument and still lose. And all the married men in the room said amen. (laughs) You can make a name for yourself and still feel miserable. But love, when we love, we find joy and purpose. Now, I know some of you in the room are like, hold up, wait, 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 John, time out. Isn't the opportunity to disciple people? Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the good news, make disciples. Like, John, I think the ultimate opportunity is discipleship, and I would agree. But here's where I think we've missed it. Occasionally, we miss it. We think that we can disciple people without having a relationship first. And we can't. Discipleship starts with relationship, and relationships start with love. We cannot change someone's mind until we're willing to do the work of getting to know them and loving them, not so that we can change their mind, but simply because they are created in God's image and worth our time and worth our love. Discipleship starts with love. The opportunity is love. Love is what changes— the Holy Spirit working through love is what changes people's hearts and minds, not arguments, not debates, not sarcasm— It's love. 
The Holy Spirit works through love. Why? Because God is love. How would your life change if you woke up each day and said this phrase, I will have opportunities to love today. I'm going to use wisdom to make the most of them. I will have opportunities to love today. I'm going to use wisdom to make the most of them. Paul continues, Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversations be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Another translation puts it this way, Let your conversations be full of biting sarcasm, witty put-downs, self-righteousness, disdain for your fellow human man, and lots of passive-aggressive comments. That's the SMT, social media translation. No? Their conversations be always full of what? Full of grace. Now remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He's writing this to people going through a significant hardship. They are being persecuted by the Roman Empire. The last thing they want Paul to tell them to be towards the Roman Empire is full of grace. When they get this, they're reading it and they're like, oh no, he, no, you didn't say that, Paul. Come on. What they want Paul to say and what a lot of us wish Paul had said is something like this. In your conversations, be full of hard-hitting truth, angry righteousness with a little grace, sprinkle of grace, dab of grace, an occasional nod to grace, honorable mention, grace. That's what we want. Like grace is fine when people are nice to us. But what about when they're not? You know what full of grace is if you do it right? It's hard. Let me just say this. If you're in here and you think that being full of grace is easy, you may not be as full of grace as you think. Because grace, by definition, is undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. Being nice to people that are nice to us is not grace. Being nice to people that are easy to be nice to is not grace. Undeserved favor. Sometimes I convince myself I'm showing people grace when really I'm just tolerating them. That's not grace. Because it's undeserved favor. It sounds crazy. I didn't say it. God said it through Paul. So blame him. God says, don't just tolerate people or play nice with people. He says, show the people that are hard to love in your life undeserved favor. Be full of grace. This is hard to admit, but teachers generally loved me in school. Okay, it wasn't that hard to admit. I think it was because I was a clean-cut kid who always dressed nice for school For example, I would never wear a wrinkled t-shirt to school, much less a job interview. Never had a man bun. (laughs) Just want to clear up some facts that were mentioned a couple weeks ago that were inaccurate. Also stood up tall. People looked up to me, unlike other people who are short. (laughs) So I... Enough said. So I had a couple... I had a couple of teachers who clearly liked me. They clearly liked me. And uh, 
they would give me a little special treatment. Like if I was late on turning an assignment, they'd give me a little extra, a uh, couple extra days to turn it in. If I was goofing off, they'd kind of look the other way. You could say they showed me favor. Was it undeserved favor? I don't know. They liked me. But that, but that is not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about just kind of like giving a little extra grace to the people in our lives that we kind of like. Paul's talking about the people in our lives that are hard to like. The people on social media that we block or unfriend because we're so irritated with them. Paul's talking about those people. And I get it. That's hard. There are days when people hurt us, and the last thing we want to do is give them grace. But Paul says we are, we are to show them not just a little grace, but be full of grace. Why? Because that is how our Heavenly Father treats us. Every day we wake up and we get the undeserved favor of God. God is full of grace in his interactions with us. And he invites us to live that way in our interactions with others. To take the undeserved grace, the undeserved favor that we have been given, and to extend that to the people in our lives who do not deserve it. How would your life look different if you lived each day with this mindset? Today, I will freely give away undeserved favor. Today, I'm going to go into my day and someone's going to bug me. And in that moment, I'm going to give them undeserved favor. And I'm going to log on to social media and someone's going to post something super stupid. And you know what? I'm going to show them undeserved favor. And one of my family members is going to bug me. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to show them undeserved favor. Because that's the way that my Heavenly Father treats me. Paul continues and he says, seasoned with salt. Which is kind of a confusing phrase. If you tell me you just had a conversation with someone and they were salty, right? That usually means they're on edge, they're irritated, they're angry. But seasoned with salt coming from Paul means something quite different. Salt was an important and valuable commodity in uh, Paul's day. Salt flavored food. But in a day and age long before modern appliances like refrigerators and freezers, salt was an essential component to keeping fish and meat from rotting, keeping it good long enough to get it to market, to sell it, to eat it. Salt was valuable. In fact, fun fact for you, salt was so important and valuable that historians believe Roman soldiers were sometimes paid with salt. That's where we get the phrase, uh, worth your salt, if you've ever heard that. Salt was money. Now, for those of you watching online, I checked with accounting, and they do not, in fact, want salt in place of checks this week in the mail. They asked that I clarify that. Salt was valuable. So in Paul's day in culture, if a writer or speaker's words were said to be seasoned with salt, what was being conveyed was that the writer or speaker's words had substance. They were valuable. They were witty or winsome or moving or inspiring. They were worth listening to. So next time you're at the dinner table and someone says something inspiring or moving, don't raise your glass. Grab the salt shaker. Raise that. The next time Pastor Mike gives a killer message, he doesn't need a card. Just send him some salt in the mail. <laughs> Paul says your conversation should be full of grace seasoned with salt. 
So what is he saying? He's saying our conversations should be packed with unmerited favor towards others and so thought out and sincere and moving that what we say is worth listening to even if they disagree with what is said. Not reactive or defensive or passive-aggressive or harsh or accusing. Full of grace, seasoned with salt. By the way, sometimes being full of grace actually means saying nothing. It means not hitting send on that text or that email or that social media post. It means just walking away. I'm reminded of what the writer of Proverbs 27:17 says, "The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered." Sometimes being full of grace means saying nothing. Sometimes boundaries are graceful. Let me be real clear. Today we're not talking about staying in situations of abuse or where we are constantly, continually being taken advantage of. In those situations, boundaries are graceful. Walking away is graceful. Notice how Paul concludes this section for us. He says, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? Because the world is looking for answers. They are looking for answers. They're they're looking for purpose and meaning and fulfillment out of life. And we have the answers. But Paul says it matters how we convey the answers. It matters how we share the good news. It matters how we share hope. It matters how we share the goodness of God. So this week, as we close, I want to challenge all of us. I've said a lot, a lot of things for you to think about. I want to challenge you to take one thing that Paul has shared in this portion of scripture and apply portion of scripture and apply it to your life. Maybe for some of us, it's just that first thought that God is present in our lives. So we're going to be devoted to prayer this week. We're going to be more aware to the presence of God in our life as we go about our day-to-day. Or maybe for others of us, it's that idea that we can be alert and watchful for the opportunities that God gives us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. For others of us, maybe it's just living more thankful. Living our lives in a, a state of thanks despite circumstances. Or perhaps for others of us, it's simply living our lives each day full of grace, seasoned with salt being intentional about our words and the way we interact with others. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your goodness and your love, and I thank you for these words that you gave to Paul that are recorded for us. Father, I thank you for the love and grace that comes from you, the undeserved favor that I experience every day as your child. And Father, I pray that you would help all of us, give us wisdom to make the most of the opportunities that you give us to share your love, your goodness, your hope with the people in our lives. And as we do it, may we do it full of grace, seasoned with salt. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.